right. Well, for those of you worried about doing that as a song of the month, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we can't figure out that part. We, we've probably tried that, that start to the second verse there, you know, 10, 15 times. We got it right maybe three times. Today wasn't one of them. <laughs> At some point it becomes like, uh, it's just a statistics type of a thing. Just hoping the dice comes up the right number, right? But in any event, uh, we will be singing 10,000 Reasons as our song of the month for next month. So for those of you who like that first one, I guess good for you. <laughs> That will be our song of the month. So if you want to start kind of listening to it, preparing yourself for that so that you can be a nice, vibrant uh, audience that's singing nice and loud there, 10,000 reasons, just make a note of that. Just go listen to a few YouTube videos on it and get the sense of it in your mind. That will be our song of the month. So with that, we'll have some, a word of prayer here and we'll get going with our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for your great love. Thank you that we can even sing songs of praise to you. Thank you that when our heart's in the right place and we have a desire to lift you up and put the spotlight on you and to remember all that you've done in our lives that we can't go wrong regardless of uh, style or abilities or uh, format that we know that you'll honor it because you're interested in us singing your praises, making you bigger. And remembering, again, just how blessed we are as your children to be under your care, to have your love, to have your compassion and your kindness and your goodness poured out in our lives. Pray that we would, as we even go through, you know, this time of season is known more for people having a little bit more thought towards an attitude of gratitude or things they're thankful for or celebrating. Even in some cases, they're reminded of the reason for even the season as we come into the the Christmas season coming up before you know it. And just pray that we would see that the whole thing, every day of the year from beginning to end, it's all about Christ. It's all about who you are and what you've done for us. It's about you as a God in heaven who wants to be known, has revealed yourself, wants to get the spotlight, wants to get the glory, wants to get the praise, and that you've desired to have an intimate relationship with us where we are enjoying you in such a fashion that we're wanting to tell others about you and make you the song that we're singing as we go through life, the song of our life or our life song, if you want to think of it that way. Pray that you give us hearts that are soft to you, that are open to you, that want to learn more about you. Pray that even as we're here this morning, that whatever maybe has been distracting us, that you'd allow that to kind of pass off to the side, at least for a bit, so that we could focus in on what matters most here this morning and to consider your truth, consider your word, and to fellowship with other believers around that truth. Pray that if there's any here this morning that don't understand how they can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, that they would see it's by simple faith in your finished work on Calvary, your death, burial, and resurrection on behalf of sinners who were hopeless and helpless and hellbound apart from your intervention on their behalf. Pray that we would see that it's by faith alone apart from works that a man could be justified or declared to be in a right standing with you that it's a matter of accepting what's already been done for us, not what we could do for God. It's about putting our confidence in your work, 
not in something that we could do. It's about finding assurance even of our salvation in the understanding that it's your faithfulness that's at issue, not ours. It's the fact that you're holding on to us that's what gives us confidence, not anything that we could do because there was nothing we could do to earn it. There's certainly nothing we could do to keep it or maintain it. Pray that that would be clear even in our message here this morning. Pray for the Sunday school teachers that are teaching, that you'd give them clarity as they speak from your word, that it would be true and accurate and that it would be useful in the lives of the young people in our church who, just like us, are bombarded constantly with the thinking of the world and the things of the world and this constant pull to conform to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind as your spirit wants to make us into something that we're not, as you want to make us more into the image of your son and give us a mind that's like the mind of Christ. Pray that that could be something that is on our thinking, on the launching pad of our minds here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's sermon is the same as the title of that last song, Counting My Blessings. And obviously, we just sang the song for you, at least did our best to sing a rendition of that song for you this morning, but it represents, as we saw back to back, another of a line of historical songs of the faith that encourage what? They encourage consideration and awareness of the many blessings present in the lives of believers. Like as you think about even that word count, count your blessings or counting my blessings, count your blessings, name them one by one, counting my blessings, I can't count that high. The idea or the key word there is counting. It's considering something, being aware of something that I'm prone to forget. I'm prone to take for granted. And so even as you're thinking about those, these lyrics that we were just singing, God, I'm still counting my blessings. Now, what is a blessing? Well, we're going to get into it, but it's something that's beneficial, something for which you should be grateful. So I have these blessings, all that you've done in my life, if we're making it simple, God is undertaking in every facet of our lives. Now, this was my favorite line. This is ultimately why I wanted to sing this song, is this line right here. The more that I look in the details, the more of your goodness I find. Isn't that the problem? ultimately, that I don't have a proper perspective of the goodness of God the way that I should, meaning of such magnitude in my thinking that it's transforming, it's changing my very perspective and my very attitude as I face each day. So I can say, yeah, I know God's good. Yeah, I appreciate that God is good. Is that true? Is that really the thing that you're considering as you're going through your day? Or are you focused on the things about God that you don't understand? Even if you want to make this spiritual, are, are you going through your day instead of focusing on the things that God proclaims to be true, which is that he's good all of the time, that he loves you, that he's on your side, that he's for you, that he's never against you, instead of focusing on those things that are clearly revealed in God's word, perhaps you're the kind of person that finds yourself consistently obsessed about or focused on or, or dragged down by the things that you can't understand about God, the things that don't make sense to you about God. Or perhaps it's not spiritual at all. Instead of considering the goodness of God and the many blessings that we have in our lives, instead of counting them and really appreciating them in a real practical, tangible, experiential kind of way, perhaps it's that you're just like me, that you consistently find yourself always feeling a pull towards thinking about and considering and obsessing and focusing on the things that are difficult, the things that are challenging, the things that aren't going right. 
And so as you think about the more that I look in the details, the more of your goodness I find. I have to be intentional about this. You have to be intentional about this, friends. If you really want to live in light of or see the goodness of God in a real personal, tangible, in a way that would have an effect on your actual life. Then he says, Father, on this side of heaven, I know that I'll run out of time, but I will keep counting my blessings knowing I can't count that high. Now, obviously this is just a metaphor. It's just a song. It's It's an illustration. But the truth is, it's very similar to something that we've proclaimed here as a congregation going back to the very beginning as we've been singing songs like Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. The truth is there's so many of them. As you think about the promises even in the Word of God, there's thousands of them. As you think about the blessings, the more you dissect it, the more you dig into it, the more of your goodness, of God's goodness that you'll find. That's a fact. And it's easy to overlook. It's easy to miss that. So I, I wondered as I was listening to this song and as you know, came into this time of the year where many of you were celebrating or being especially intentional about getting together with family, sharing a, a meal, the Thanksgiving holiday, as that was taking place, it was making me think of songs like this even more than normal. Now, that's not supposed to, though, represent a single day of the year. It's supposed to represent a general, a general posture and mindset that I'm going to go through life with. But as I was thinking about counting my blessings and, and continuing to think about these things, I wondered, is this the perspective or the posture that I typically have? And the answer is, if you're being honest, I would say that the answer for me is the same as it probably is for you, not as much as it could be. Maybe you'd go one step farther than that and you'd say not as much as it should be. And you see, every believer should have this perspective or this posture I'm continuously appreciating and being intentional about the goodness of God in my life, the many different ways that God is undertaking in my life. So I wanted to, in part because the, the, the holiday season gets so condensed, I didn't want to start a new series on a new book of the Bible. We're going to be doing a, a book of the Bible. Still not 100% sure which. It seems like it will be John or Romans. If you have a strong opinion about that, you could, you could share it. But, uh, so I wanted to touch on this here today and just kind of tie into what we just celebrated on Thursday. So let's consider some of your blessings and the value of counting them here this morning. Now we'll start with just a definition of blessings. Sometimes we don't even really understand what we mean when we're saying counting our blessings, but it's a simple definition. It's just any beneficial thing. A blessing is any beneficial thing, and then typically for which one is grateful, meaning it's something that is beneficial that you're aware of. And you think about if that's just the general definition of, of blessing, then to be blessed is to receive those benefits or be favored by another to receive those benefits or be favored by another. So if, if anything beneficial is a blessing, and then if I'm the recipient of it, then I could refer to myself as what? Hashtag blessed, right? And so you see these kinds of things. You're blessed. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Got this heartbeat in my te- chest. You're blessed because you're the beneficiary of the favor of another in the context of the Christian, God's favor, God's grace, divine favor, undeserved favor, that's the definition of God's grace. And so if I'm the beneficiary of God's grace, then I am blessed. And then as you think about 
to feel blessed is to be happy, pleased, or fully satisfied. So if I'm feeling blessed, if I'm absorbing that concept of I'm the recipient of beneficial things, meaning I'm blessed, then to feel blessed is to have a recognition of that, which results in being pleased or happy, but this is the better definition, fully satisfied. Fully satisfied. So when you look at the most common word for blessed in Greek, it's fully satisfied is the the primary understanding of it. So the sense of I'm so blessed, I'm fully satisfied, why? Because I see all of the goodness of, of God that has directed my way. So that's blessings, that's, that's what we're talking about, being blessed, the definition of it, but what is the source of all blessings? It's worth stating the obvious, I would think, in a room like this, this, this morning as we think about these promises as children of God. But ultimately God, as the creator and provider, is the source of every blessing, now, James 1.17 is a famous verse that touches on this idea. There's probably others we could go to. We have a lot to wade through here this morning. But James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so if you're ever wondering where that phrase, I don't even remember the psalm, but there's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail. Great is thy faithfulness, okay? If I worked through it long enough, we'd get to the title, right? All right. How many of you knew it before I did? Okay. Only half of you, so that doesn't make me feel that bad. There's no variation. There's no changing. Thou changest not. It comes right from this verse. Thy compassions they fail. There's no shadow of turning. And so we think about who is the source of everything that is good. Well, it's God, the creator, the provider. And you, you think about blessings, and, and again, we're defining that as benefits, resources, provisions, source in God, but they represent the practical outflow or the application of God's grace in the lives of people. And so as you're thinking about blessings and grace, they're the same thing. They can't be separated. The sort of underlying motivation for the blessings that God bestows upon people, we'll touch on that in a second, people both saved and unsaved alike, it's driven by his gracious disposition towards them and grace cannot be separated from God's love and compassion and his mercy and his, just his feelings towards people of care. And so as you think about God's love, taking action in terms of its application, finding its way in his gracious disposition, and then finding its application in blessings that are bestowed on people. And you think about grace, if we're going to tie blessings to grace, which I think there's no way to avoid that. Grace, again, is something that is done by God on behalf of another, so something that is favorable for them, doing what's best for another in light of eternity, regardless of personal expense and regardless of what? Regardless of merit, undeserved favor, the favor of God bestowed on those who don't deserve it. And so when we think about blessings, if it's tied to God's grace, then blessings are also provided by God apart from merit. Blessings are not something that are deserved. Now, you could say if you looked at the covenant arrangement between the nation of Israel and God, you would say that there are a type of blessings, physical primarily physical, but also spiritual blessings that were tied to a, an agreement. 
if you obey me, if you trust me, if you follow me, then I will bless you. And if you don't, then you're going to receive discipline, chastening. You're going to be receiving something that's negative or be cursed because of it. And so in that sense, that was more of a contractual agreement entered into by God and the nation of Israel. So you could say in that sense, it was somewhat based on how one would respond. But even then you would say mankind was not capable of even responding apart from being regenerated by faith in the finished work of God on behalf of their sinfulness or God's provision to deal with their sinfulness, turning to God and responding in faith, believing God and responding to the truth that was being presented to them. And the amount of truth, the specifics of the truth changed over time, but man was responsible to respond to that truth. A man could never be justified before God or declared to be in a right standing with God apart from faith and apart from human works. Faith had to be something that was done in response to God's truth that was presented to them, but it was a spirit of dependence, learning to depend on God to do for man what man could never do for himself, and it was exclusive of works. There couldn't be works in it. Not, not regardless of which part of the Bible you're talking about, it is always the, the same. Man had a choice. They had to either choose to do it alone, stay on the horizontal plane, or respond in faith vertically to God and His what he had told or what he had said or revealed about himself respond in faith. But again, it was faith apart from works. It was recognizing that God is dealing with me as a result of his love and his grace and his compassion and his mercy even though I don't deserve it. Otherwise, it would be a reward for doing good. But in the general sense of our conversation this morning, we're talking about blessings that are tied to grace, neither of which are tied to human merit. Blessings are often distributed when you think about the source of all blessings, you would say, yeah, but there's a lot of people. There are a lot of people in my life that are a blessing to me. And so you say that God is the source of all blessings, but I feel like those blessings are coming from other people. And there's no inconsistency there. The truth is that God uses people as a conduit of his grace and his blessings. So blessings are often distributed or provided through human conduits. That's something that is true of how God chooses to provide many of the blessings, but ultimately it's not the person that directly we need to focus on as the primary source of our thanksgiving, although should you be thankful towards others and, and how God has used them or, or interceded in your life to provide for you through them? And the answer is yes, you should. You should say thank you. Hopefully as a parent, your goal was to raise your children to have manners. You can only take free-range parenting so far, friends, before they'll learn nothing and they'll have no manners, they'll have no principles, they'll understand nothing about God's truth. They're not going to learn it for themselves. I've been watching more and more parents do this recently where it's just like it's going to be a self-learning environment for every facet of parenting. I, I get it, I guess, to some extent, if you're going to want kids to think through some things on their own and present them with some opportunities for self-learning. I, I actually get that. Maybe there is some benefit there. But not exclusively. They still rely on you to train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They're relying on you to say, no, don't talk while somebody else is talking. They're relying on you to say, what do you say? I mean, how many children didn't need to be told that? 
How many of them just naturally were going through life with this just overwhelming sense of gratitude for everything that was being done on their behalf? No, it took diligent parents to say, what do you say when somebody does something for you? No, what, what are you going to say when you want something? No, don't end with it. I want you to start with it. Please. No, we're not going to say please and thank you together. So whoever's on that trend, forget it. <laughs> it's please and then it's thank you at the end. They're not together. I see people trying to wrap thank you into please. Hey, can you grab that for me, please and thank you? I'm like, what started this? I mean, I guess it's all of the shorthand texting and stuff. We've got to make everything shorter. In any event, human conduits, that's how I got off on that. But then the other thing we think about a source of all blessings, God is the source of all blessings. He often uses human conduits. They're, provide, they're provided apart from merit. And the last point I want to bring out here in, in terms of the source of all blessings is just that God's blessings are abundant. And we, we glanced at this on Wednesday, listened to the Listen to the audio online if you didn't catch this message. But as you see this, God is not holding back. God is not pouring out blessings and, and he's, he's not rationing. That's the word I was looking for. God is not rationing blessings in your life. God is able to bless you abundantly. And the purpose that he's looking for is a mentality that would say, if I'm going to be blessed abundantly then it's going to be or it ought to be with a perspective of how it could benefit others. So, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, you'll have all that you need, which means what? You will abound in every good work, meaning you'll have plenty to share with others was the idea that we brought out on Wednesday as we thought about abundant, abundantly, what was it? Yeah, abundantly, gener abundance, generosity, and thanksgiving. And so as you think about this verse, this is where it comes from, is that God's not, again, rationing. He's not withholding. He's, he's giving you abundant blessings with the mentality that you would use them for his honor and glory as we think about, again, both physical blessings and spiritual blessings, and we'll touch on that in a second. Now, who are the recipients of God's blessings? Who are the recipients of God's blessings? And the answer might surprise you, but it's all mankind. All mankind benefits from God's grace regardless of whether they realize it or not. So it's not that God just blesses his children. He blesses all of humanity. And if you want to see a couple of passages, we're going to look here at Psalm 145, verse 9, and then we'll jump to 15 and 16. But it says this, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire, now catch this, of every living thing. See, God's blessing is not even just on human beings exclusively. It's on all of his created work. And you say, I'm not sure about that. Show me something in the New Testament. Okay. So Matthew chapter five, verse 44 and 45 we touched on this not long ago in a message, but, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Now, why did he have to say this? Because it was an eye for an eye. That was the mentality of the people by nature, an eye for an eye. It's still our mentality. We still want to feel justified in responding to people in kind. Do you, you realize that everything about your natural man 
is focused on what you determine to be fair from your own human evaluation and your own human perspective. And so what you determine to be fair is always comes back to merit. It's always merit-based. Grace is scandalous. Grace is amazing because we don't understand it. Now, if we're trying to operate in grace, having learned what grace is really about, from seeing God's grace manifested to us in the form of the sacrifice of his son as God demonstrated his love toward us. That was the application of his gracious disposition toward men is that he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, insert undeserving, Christ died for us. And so as we learn or we're taught to have that kind of grace, that kind of selfless and sacrificial mindset, It goes against the very core of our inner being that is saying, I want fairness. I want to respond in kind. I will do for you whatever you'll do for me. It's all about balancing scales. The human mind doesn't understand giving without regard for what you'll get. The human mind does not understand how I could have a view towards you that is motivated by a Christ-like love for you that has absolutely nothing to do with how you respond to me. So now think about how easy is it for that natural mindset to worm its way into your life where, where the reason you're not going to forgive your brother or sister here, you can point at them now if they're bugging you, you know, the reason you're not going to forgive him is because he hasn't said sorry first. They haven't acknowledged what they did to you. And so you're never letting this go until they first come to their senses and acknowledge how wrong they really were. And then maybe you would consider initiating the restoration process, but only then. That's how we're wired. I'm not going to invite them over to my house because they've never invited me over to their house. Well, perhaps, perhaps they didn't invite you over because they don't actually even like you. <laughs> Should that be from a biblical perspective, a, a grace-oriented perspective? Should that be the kind of thing that's stopping you from loving them anyway? Love covers a multitude of sins. Could it cover the fact that there's some people that you might, God might want you to reach out to, want you to invest in, want you to come alongside of, want you to build up that don't even actually like you? Perhaps they didn't have you over to their home because they have a dog like mine that apparently hates people. I'm telling you this, I'm sorry that we got this dog and live at the church. It's kind of weird. If there's a black kind of large dog that's like lunging at the door when you're walking by she doesn't accept people for some reason now if you want her to accept you this is just totally off the topic but come with your dog (laughs) if you come with your dog apparently if your dog will accept you then you get a one notch up over normal people who don't have a dog so that's just an aside but maybe that's why they're not having you over okay or you say I'm not going to help them with something I know that they have a need for, help with, because they've never helped me. You see how that's how we think? That's the natural default. That's what comes naturally. And the truth is that as you're looking at the example that was given to us or modeled for us by God, it was that we would love our enemies. 
Uh, these aren't even enemies. These are just people that have wronged you the wrong, you know, rubbed you the wrong way. But we'd love our enemies, we'd bless those who curse you, and we would do good to those who hate you, not an eye for an eye, not responding in kind. We would pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, and that's not even true of the people that you're not forgiving in your life for the most part. They just offended you in some way. The pastor just said something you didn't like. He's saying something you didn't like. His personality is something that you don't like. He, he didn't even actually persecute you. So for those of you who aren't forgiving me, today's the day. <laughs> today's the day. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now he says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. All he means there is that you'd be living life in a manner that's consistent with your position as a child of God. That you'd be, you'd be living in a way that is faithful to who you're supposed to be by identity as a son of God, a reflection of him. His light in the darkness. Now catch this part though. And why is it's not merit driven? Because of God's example. We're talking now about the Father in heaven. What is the Father in heaven? How does he treat all men? For he makes the sun rise on who? On the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Meaning God doesn't reserve his goodness or his blessing just on his own children, but all of mankind and all of creation, frankly. So as you think about even this passage, the, the takeaway is regardless of the farmer's disposition toward God, God gives sunshine and rain to farmers equally. God gracious, graciously gives good things even to those who hate him, even to people who reject him, even to people who rebel against him, even to people who mock him, even to people who deny his very existence, they still get to enjoy his goodness and his grace and his love. Now, there will be a time of judgment for all of those who have rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. But yet, God draws men to himself in some ways because of his goodness that he bestows on everybody regardless of whether or not they deserve it. Now, as you were thinking about that, if you were thinking about well, as soon as he mentioned in this verse, even as soon as he mentioned the evil, his son rises on the evil. Well, I'm not, I'm not that. That's all these other things. It's not me. But then ask if you're going to define evil as anything that is standing in opposition to what God says is true. And then listen to this list, even those who hate him. Are you hating God while you're completely ignoring him? Are you, are you hating God in a sense while you're consistently doing your own thing and rejecting him? How about that's too strong of language? You're like, I never hate God, okay. How about people who reject him? Are you rejecting God when you are consistently seeking your own instead of seeking him? How about rebelling against him? Would that describe you? You're a congenital rebel. You came out of the womb as a rebel. When you're not looking vertically and walking by means of the influence of the Spirit of God, you're still rebelling against God. How about mocking Him? How about even denying His very existence? 
you're saying, I'd never do that. You're practically doing it all the time. When you act as though he doesn't exist, when you give him the cold shoulder, when you go about life as if there is no God in your life. And then you're coming back to him like the magic rabbit foot or the genie in a bottle that you're going to rub when times get tough when you have no place else to turn, but right up till that breaking point, right up to that very last resort, there is no God in your life. Oh, we'll give him lip service because we have to from time to time. But practically, this could be true. And it's a good thing that God's blessings, again, are independent of human merit. Now let's dig into what are some of the blessings that you could or should count in your life? If our, if our title here is Counting My Blessings or our other song was Count Your Blessings, what are some of the blessings you could or should count? Now let's start with the obvious ones. Obvious blessings will start with the natural realm. How about the natural realm? Just think about the things that you could bless, you could count as a blessing or you could thank God for in your life just in the world around us. Creation itself given you a second to actually think about it. This is, this is where you'll interact with the message this morning. Think, think about it. What are some of the things in the natural realm, creation itself, that you could count as a blessing? How about just the beauty of the world around you? How about the many natural resources that you're taking for granted that your life wouldn't be like it is now apart from those resources having been created by God? How many of you are going to make it home in your vehicle if there was no natural resources, if there was no gasoline, there was no oil, if there was no rubber to make tires? Now, these are, you could come up with better examples. That's what happens when you don't actually have any ahead of time. <laughs> but you could think about water. You could think about air. You can think about just the materials that you can use like cotton to make clothing, just the natural, natural resources and abundance. How about seasons? Who's thankful for seasons this morning? <laughs> who, who was singing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas this morning? We got snow on the ground. For those of you who are listening from warm weather, shame on you, shame on you. How about, how about the blessings of just even the design inspiration that nature provides? Many of the technological advancements that we have are direct ripoffs from technology that God created that we see in the created universe. Even something like that, have you ever considered that and had a blessing for that? That you wouldn't even be able to enjoy to make your life easier, to make your life less difficult. Many of the technological innovations that are directly tied to observations that were made from nature itself. Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. Obviously, that's one obvious, obviously, that's one obvious. <laughs> that's one obvious source of looking to, uh, for blessings or considering blessings or counting blessings is the natural realm. But how about the physical realm? I'm talking more about our physical lives. There's a lot that we could be thankful for. I don't want to spend a lot of time here either, but in the physical realm, here's a couple of verses about just the provision of the blessings of God in our lives as it relates to physical matters. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now in this context, the need is not just spiritual. It's physical need and it's, of course, spiritual need in mind. But my God shall supply 
everything that you need. Why? Because he's a rich God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How do you say it, Eric? So then those, those cattle are ours? How, does you, how do you say that? What do you say about the cattle, owning the cattle? Yeah, we own the cattle on a thousand hills. So that was a family saying in their family, put him on the spot here this morning. If he, if he ever does that to me. <laughs> we, we do that because we have a rich father, though. That's the idea there. We have a w- rich father. So we're rich, not because we have anything to add to that equation, but because he's rich and we're now identified with him. We're now his son and he's going to provide for us abundantly. So there's one passage that we can look at. Here's another one. And this is just, again, considering physical, the physical realm, physical blessings, things that if you were to, the more that I look in the details, the more of your goodness I find. As you really look around at everything in your life, there's so much of it that you just kind of, just blows by you without you being grateful for it or considering it as a blessing at all. But Jesus is talking because, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, he's talking about this present life. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about right now the things that these believers tended to worry about, which were natural things. But he says, do not worry about them, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's talking about my body. I'm I'm worried about my health. I'm thinking about my health. I'm thinking about what will I wear, what will I eat, what will I drink. The, The cares of this world are the kinds of things that distract me from a focus on him. So if I just saw that I had all of these things provided for by God, I was blessed in many ways, then I would have this next perspective. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Because I'd already be counting those blessings. I would know that God will supply everything that I need. And then he gives an example. He says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet... They've done nothing to deserve it, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I know this is a passage that many of you are familiar with. So as we kind of dig a little deeper into the physical realm, things that you might think of, how about, how about in the physical realm we'll start with physical needs? Some of those things are health. That's a blessing. Any amount of health you have is a blessing because you don't deserve any of it. So you could focus on the health you have or you could focus on the health you've lost. But to count blessings would be what? To focus on what you have, none of which you deserve. How about energy? Just even something as simple as that. Or healing. The unbelievable ability of the human body to heal itself in many ways. How about growth? The idea that you could grow. Now some of you aren't thankful for that. Right? Sometimes we want to not grow anymore in terms of horizontally but growth physical growth it was a good thing it was a blessing from God that we didn't all stay small how helpless would you be if you forever were an infant how about stamina strength how about how about intellect as a physical provision that God has given us the ability to think reason logic How about in terms of physical needs, God providing the ability to rest? Even even advocating for a society that would put some time or dedicate some time toward rest. How about the ability to recover where you get worn down but you don't stay that way? 
there's an ability to recover if there's some rest and there's some nourishment and nutrients and those types of things. How about, think about other needs in the physical realm, financial needs. God says, I'm going to provide what you need. There's very few people that are a part of our congregation. Maybe there's some examples, but not many. Very few, because there's very few people in this country that if they have if they have a sound mind and they can seek out the resources available are going to ever go hungry. There's some that are battling with an inability to think clearly and that makes that more difficult and more challenging, but there's generally speaking not people starving because there's absolutely no resources available. It's, if anything, it's that they don't have access to them or they're not aware of them or they can't think clearly enough to avail themselves of what is available. But the truth is that the vast majority of people on the Iron Range, the vast majority of people here this morning have all of their basic necessities met. They're not living, they're not living out in the parking lot. Maybe you're living in a van down by the river, but you're not living in the parking lot. You have some kind of shelter. Even if it, even if, even if it came to that, most of you even have some alternative options that you could not be outside, even if you didn't have your home. A lot of you have RVs. A lot of you have trucks with toppers on them or campers. A lot of you have canvas tents with stoves in them. I spent a couple of nights in, in that on Thursday and Friday night. 15 degrees is not that warm. <laughs> but m most people have their basic necessities met and then some, and then some, and then a lot. If you really are being honest about how much of this stuff do you really need? How much excess is in your life? Most people have so much excess in their life that they're drowning in it. They're having to build additional buildings on their property to store it. They're having to stack it like cordwood in bins in their basement. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to guilt any of you. I'm... I'm, I'm with you. If we talk about other needs in the physical realm, how about emotional needs? That God has undertaken to bless you with being loved, peace, affection, connectedness, having a sense, if you're a Christian, hopefully of some self-esteem that's rooted in how God sees you and, and, and your value to him and how he views you. Security, autonomy, some, ability, some freedom expression, There's still a fair amount of that. More here than anywhere else in the world, though some of those freedoms are disappearing. But the truth of it is that God provided all of those things. Emotional needs. The ability to express yourself to others. The ability to have some sense of autonomy where you have some ability to, to make decisions for yourself. God didn't have to make it that way in the physical realm, but he did. The ability to be a part of a community, to not be alone to experience affection, peace, love. These are all things that God provides. Now, could you count those as blessings? Well, you should, you could, and you should. How about relational needs? Some of these overlap, but friendship, intimacy, companionship. Look around you. Look at the people you're sitting next to. Do you thank God for them? These are blessings from God. Friendship, intimacy, companionship, acceptance, attention. Somebody even paying any attention to you. Empathy. Somebody's ability to have maybe gone through a lot of the same things you have 
so that they can provide comfort, the same comfort with which they themselves were comforted by God in that same trial maybe or similar trial that they went through. That's a, in the physical realm, that's a blessing in your life. The things that are connected to God's provision or blessings associated with relationships. Now, sometimes you could say, these relationships aren't a blessing in my life. But for the most part, go try to be alone. And then come back. Go spend a lot of time away from somebody. And then maybe see, I was taking them for granted. It took some absence even to some extent for me to realize what I had. Don't know what you got till it's gone, as the song in the 80s sang. Well, I guess the song itself didn't sing. It said. All right, we need to move on. How about spiritual realm? We're talking about obvious blessings here. Phys natural realm, physical realm. How about the spiritual realm? It says in the word of God that you've been provided with every spiritual blessing. So in general, you have every spiritual blessing that you need. You see that in Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where is it sourced? In the heavenly places. Where else is it sourced? In Christ. Now you look at this, this verse here. Has blessed who has blessed us. That's past tense. It indicates a completed past event. So every spiritual blessing, what are we talking about? Well, every spiritual enrichment needed for the spiritual life. Every spiritual enrichment needed for the spiritual life. And what are some of the examples of those blessings? These enrichments that are needed in order to live the Christian life as intended by God, designed by God. Well, it starts with the salvation that was secured by Christ. That was a spiritual blessing. We'll touch on that more specifically in a second. Secured by Christ in the past, but also being provided in the present in, in terms of salvation from the power of sin over our lives. How about the believer's new identity or position in Christ? That was a spiritual blessing where we were translated. We were translated from death to life. We were made alive. We went from being in Adam to being in Christ. We were given this new identity. We were described as being new creations. Old things having passed away, behold, all things having become new, we were indwelt then by the Spirit of God, which is the, the third one here that comes to mind in terms of spiritual blessings, every spiritual enrichment. One of the spiritual enrichments that you should be counting your blessings about is the indwelling and the empowering, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. God didn't leave you empty-handed. He blessed you with the Spirit of God, His very Spirit living inside of you so that you could be equipped, empowered, enabled to live a life that would bring Him honor and glory. Not through your strength, but by the Spirit of God producing and working and making changes in and through you. So generally, those are some general things, but how about specific things? See, believers are blessed in specific ways spiritually, in addition to just generally saying, I have every spiritual blessing that is needed. I've been enriched with everything that is necessary. Another one of which we could have touched on was the provision of the truth of God's word, a guidebook, a guidebook for my life. So I have a guide in the terms of the spirit of God within me to teach me, to direct me, to convict me, to, to illuminate my thinking. And then I have a guidebook to reference as led and directed and enabled by the Spirit of God so that I can live a life that would be in alignment with God's will for my life. But how about some of the specifics here? Well, 
justified, redeemed, and forgiven. What specific ways have I been blessed? I've been justified, redeemed, and forgiven. All words that are tied together. Justified to be declared to be in a right standing. Redeemed to be saved out of or bought out of or purchased out of bondage that I was in. Forgiven, meaning what it means. Forgiven. I was, I was, God wasn't holding my trespasses against me anymore. All three of those things, of course, freely and apart from works. Now, what are some of the verses that come to mind? Well, here's a, here's a couple. But to him who does not work, now here's our part about this, is done freely by God apart from works. But to him who does not work, you can't work your way into God's acceptance. God already accepts you. The only way you can have access to God or be brought into the family of God is through faith. Faith means to believe in something, to be convinced or persuaded, to put your trust or confidence in what God has done for you. But to him who does not work, but instead believes on him who's the him, God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who what? Justifies, declares to be righteous, the ungodly, meaning the one who doesn't have God, the one who hasn't done anything to deserve it. Now, his faith is credited or accounted for righteousness, not his works, his faith. It's apart from works, just as David also describes the blessedness. See, this is the benefit. You talk about anything that's beneficial. The benefit to the man to whom God imputes righteousness, imputes means to credit to somebody's account, apart from works. A person is blessed. It's a blessing that God would impute the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your sinful account apart from anything you had done to deserve it. That's a blessing. That's a benefit. You were hopeless unless God would undertake to provide for you in that way. Here's another verse that touches on this category here of being blessed to be justified, redeemed, and forgiven. Now he, and we're referring to God the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness... That's where we found ourselves. That's where we naturally were. The Bible says that all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There was none that was seeking after God. There was none that was righteous, no, not one. All had sinned and fallen short, missed the mark, missed it by a long shot. There was none good, no, not one. There was not one just man upon the earth that did good and sinned not. All were in the same boat, that they were sinful, that they were separated from God on account of their sinfulness in, a, in light of or in view of God's holiness. But he translated, he conveyed us. He delivered us from the power of darkness and he moved us into a different sphere, into the kingdom of the son of his love. So what was dead has passed from death to life. How? Because though we deserve to be separated from God on account of our sin, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, how did he do that? He bore our iniquities in his body on the tree. He took the debt that we were burdened with, that we were saddled with, that was causing us to be forever estranged from God. He took that debt, the debt of our sin, the debt that we owed, the payment that was owed was death for sin. He took that death and he paid that price. So he took all of our sin and he, the God the Father, put all of our sin and he poured it out onto the Son of God, so the Son of God bore our sin in his own body. He was the payment for our sinfulness, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, so that all of the sin of the world, that debt and that weight and that condemnation that was associated with our sinfulness, that separation from God for all of eternity, that was placed on Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ paid a debt he didn't owe, 
to give us a life that we don't deserve because he loved us so much. And so as Jesus Christ in his love was willing to sacrifice himself in our place, pay our debt by dying in our place, being then buried and risen again, that Jesus having paid our debt gives us access to God through faith in what Jesus already did for us. So that's why when Jesus says, I am the door, picture a door in the foot of the cross. I am the door by putting my faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I am the door by going through that door, by trusting in what Jesus already did for me. I am the door by me, through me. If anyone enters in, he can be saved. He can be passed from death to life as I'm given life, not because I deserve it or because of anything that I've done, but because Jesus Christ is the source of life. And so I move from this realm or this fear of being dead, and I move through the door of faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for me into this realm of life. I'm passed from death to life. What was dark is now illuminated or made light. Not by me, but by what Jesus Christ did for me. So he, the Father, delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now, in whom? Who's that? Jesus. Son of his love is Jesus. In whom? Jesus. We have redemption. To be, be, be redeemed, to be restored, to be bought back from the bondage that we were in. We have redemption. We were bought back, but through what? Through just saying something like, I wish, I, I wish this was different? No, but by believing mentally in what Jesus had done for us through his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled as he died in my place because the debt that was owed was death for sin. There was only two options. Either I would die and be forever separated from God or somebody else would die in my place who the value of his life was greater than the debt that I owed and that all men owed. And that was the value of Jesus Christ's life as he died in my place. So through his blood. But what did it lead to? The forgiveness of sins. My sins were forgiven at Calvary as Christ paid for my sin. The debt's been satisfied. So then the natural question you could ask here this morning is, then why wouldn't everyone be going to heaven if the debt of all men was paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Why would there be anyone who was going to hell? And the Bible answers that question. That question. See, in the book of John, it says, He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You either have the Son or you don't. How do you have the Son? You place your faith in, you believe, you accept the sacrifice that He made on your behalf. You put all of your confidence in what He's accomplished for you. Not any human good, not any church ritual, not anything that you could do, any hoop you could go through, but in your faith in what's already been done for you. That's why the message of the Bible is not what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. That's the central focus. And so when you look at John three sixteen, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him, through Jesus Christ, through faith in what Christ had done could be saved. He who believes, he who believes, he who is persuaded to put their confidence in Jesus Christ is not condemned. But he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. What is sending man to an eternity apart from God in the lake of fire? What is causing any person to not go to heaven when they die? Simple. 
It's not their sin. Their sin was paid for. It's that they don't have the Son. They haven't believed in the Son. He who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed. It's that simple. You either believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you or you don't. The choice is yours. And so as you think about being justified, redeemed, and forgiven, is that not cause for thinking about how you're blessed, feeling like you're blessed, saying, I am so blessed? We could, that would be enough by itself. But in addition to that, you've been made alive, adopted, and secured. Justified, redeemed, and forgiven, but also made alive, justified, or sorry, adopted and secure. And you have, and you, meaning those who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he made alive, meaning you were dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what God did for you. Same idea here as we're talking about God takes what was dead and he makes it alive. Now you think about being adopted. I was identified as a son of Adam. Now I get to be adopted into a different family, into the family of God. I get to become a child of God. I get to become an heir of heaven. And God says that once you become a part of my family, you're my forever son and you'll live in my forever home and I'll never let you go. So you think about Romans 8, 15, it says you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, meaning you could now legitimately cry out, dada, daddy. That's what that Abba father means. Daddy, dad, dad. You could cry out to the father in heaven who is now your father. Children of the heavenly father, safely in his bosom gather. More secure, what does it say? More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. There's no better place to be than to say, I'm a son of God, and to cry out, Father, help. Dad, help. Dad, where are you even? Dad, I need you. That's the privilege that a child of God has, and it could be your privilege if you would put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now we're thinking about being secured here. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, gospel meaning any message of good news, the message of good news about your salvation, salvation from what? The hell you deserve to a heaven you don't. In whom also, having believed, how did you get a hold of this? By believing, not by changing your life, not by joining a church, not by being catechized, baptized, confirmed, or anything else you could come up with, not by all the things that you need to do for God, but by believing in what God has done for you. What happened the moment you believed? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Does that seem like something you could lose? You were sealed with it. It says everlasting life that you got when you believed in Jesus Christ. It's not life that is temporary until you mess up again, until, unless you stop believing it says everlasting life because at a point in time, you put your faith in what Jesus Christ had done for you. So it's the guarantee of our inheritance. You were still with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee. Is guarantee something that you're supposed to put your confidence in? Yes. Now, are human guarantees that useful? No, because the truth is you still had to pay shipping and handling both directions. Because it was only good as long as you still had the original receipt. It wasn't worth the paper it was written on, on a human terms. But we're talking about God's guarantee. It was a down payment on a future inheritance that I was looking forward to. 
until I would be redeemed in the redemption of the purchased possession is that I would finally get to go to be with God, which would be to the praise of his glory both on my part and on his, on his part. He would be elevated. I would be praising him when I finally get to go be with him. Now you think, are those the only spiritual blessings that you could think of? And the answer is no. The answer is we could have been at this for the rest probably of 2024. We could have been looking for different blessings we could find. I'm just pulling out some and putting them out in front of you like on a buffet table for you to load up your plate with. Okay, now another blessing, a specific spiritual blessing is that we've been set free. We've been set free from bondage to sin and the sin nature. Those that were in chains to the bondage to the sin nature were set free. Now, does the sin nature still have an influence on our lives? Yes. Is the sin nature still trying to rule and reign in our lives? And the answer is yes. But does it have to? And the answer is no. We've been given freedom. Romans 8, 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We've been empowered by God's very spirit. That indwelling of God's spirit gave me the resources to stand against the influence of the, of the sin nature. That law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it's made me free. It's made me free. It's made me free from the law of sin and death. That was what was wanting to reign in my mortal body. But I was set free by the sacrifice of Christ and the indwelling of God's spirit inside of me. I was given freedom from that. Now, imagine this. Imagine that, and there's many, many examples of this, but imagine that, because I see a few of you here served in the military. While you were in the military, and we have a couple, we have at least one youngster that's just finished boot camp, he's getting uh, training. Uh, we have another one that's still in boot camp or just about done with it probably. But as we think about being at boot camp or if you've been in the military, when you're in the military, one of the things they want to teach you first and foremost is you're not in charge. There's an order of command here. And if you don't see that command order and you won't abide by it, you're not going to be in the military. At least give lip service to it because that's how the whole thing works is a command, a command structure. And so if you're in the military and you're in boot camp and you want to become a part of this, they're teaching you when we say something, that's what you're going to do. And so when the drill instructor comes along, he has a tremendous amount of influence and power over you to the extent that you're powerless. If you're going to be in the military, you're going to listen to what the drill instructor says. So when the drill instructor says, hey, drop and give me 20, you drop and give him 20 because you're at the mercy of that drill instructor. You're under his control. You're under his command. But now let's just imagine you put in your time, however many years it was, you put in your time in the military and you've been discharged from the military, hopefully honorably. So you were discharged from the military. You're no longer in the military. Now, if you're going about your daily life and you just happen to be walking into Menards in Virginia and there he is, the drill instructor that you knew when you were in the military, when you were in boot camp. The drill instructor's there and he sees you and he recognizes that he's had some influence on you in the past and he says, drop and give me 20. Now, part of you, due to the trauma of all that, <laughs> will, will consider dropping and giving him a 20. But you don't have to anymore. You had to before. You don't have to anymore. Because one of your many blessings is that you've been given freedom from the law of sin and death. It's not raining anymore. It's been stripped of its authority, though I guess it, it doesn't have to rain anymore. It's been stripped of its authority. 
outside of the context of the military, the, the, boot, the boot instructor, the drill instructor has no power, has no influence, so that you could rightfully, even though you would wince and you'd feel that pressure for a second, you could think about it for a second, and you'd say, no, you don't have any control over me. And that's the idea here as we're thinking about being freed from the bondage that we had been in to sin in the sin nature. Now, the last specific spiritual blessing I wanted to bring out is that we've been given purpose, direction, understanding, and access. You said, you said last thing. There's four more things there. So we were justified, redeemed, and forgiven. We were made alive, adopted, and secured. We were set free from bondage to sin and the sin nature. And now we've been given purpose, direction, understanding and access. So as we think about purpose, purpose is to have something worth living for, a mission. We've been given a mission as Christians. Do you see that just having been given a purpose is a blessing? A blessing you could count, counting my blessings? So 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Now Paul is specifically talking about himself and his ministry companions but he's also obviously making an application to all believers. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's the mission. That's the purpose. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is calling to all men through us. He's pleading to all men through us. And that's a blessing that God has given us, something worth living for, a mission, a task, a purpose. This is my purpose now. Another passage here to look at is Hebrews chapter 13, 20 through 21, as we're talking about direction. God has not left us with no direction. He has revealed what his will is for our lives. Do you see that's a blessing? That God would give you some direction, a purpose, and then direction in your life? Pick up with verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, reminding us of the power that we're talking about here, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. See, God is not going to leave us every-handed. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. You've been made complete in every good work, meaning he's empowered you with his spirit so that you could live a life that would bring him glory, that would bring you even joy in this life and purpose and contentment, but he's made you complete in every good work so that you could do his will. He's given you the resources necessary to live his will. Now, he works in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. He's wanting to give you direction. So that's what we're talking about here, direction. He's wanting to work inside of you so that you could have as a byproduct of the power of the Spirit of God working in your life, you could have a life that would be well-pleasing in his sight. Now, through Jesus Christ, that's how all of this access is found, is through our standing or our position in Christ. How do we have that standing again? Through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why we would end this by saying, to whom be glory forever and ever. He's the one who should be exalted and lifted up. Amen, or may it be so. Then we think about understanding. Do you see that as a blessing in your life that God has given you the ability to understand spiritual truths? 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have God's very spirit living inside of us for what purpose? That word that is a hyena clause. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He gives us the ability to comprehend and understand the many blessings that he's given us in our life. Do you see that the ability to comprehend your blessings is a blessing? 
It's a spiritual blessing in your life. How about access? How about access? We have access through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. How did we get access to God? Well, through Jesus Christ. How do we get access or how do we become identified or aligned with Jesus Christ? Through faith, again. Some people who say, you're not telling the truth when you say that the Bible repeatedly says that the only way to access God is through faith alone and the finished work of Jesus Christ as a result of his love and grace apart from human works or merit or effort. That's what the Bible teaches over and over again. In fact, hundreds of times. In the book of John alone, over a hundred times it says, believe. Encourages people to believe. Just believe. Accept this as true. So then as you think about those were the obvious blessings, how about blessings in disguise or less obvious blessings? And there's not a lot here. I mean, there's a lot here, but I'm not going to cover it a lot. Less obvious blessings. You see, God uses hard things in life, trials and circumstances in our lives in beneficial ways. Have you ever considered those to be a blessing? Blessings in disguise. The trials and the circumstances of life that could benefit us in a positive way. Not necessarily the trial itself, but the byproduct of the trial. You see, it reminds me of this song called Blessings. But the song says, because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your mercy, what if your healing, sorry, comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights is what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? You see, they would be blessings in disguise if they accomplished the purpose they're intended to, which is to draw us back to the Lord, to put us in a posture of dependence on Him, to change our focus, to change our alignment, to change our thinking. They would be blessings in disguise. Here's a passage about it. Paul is talking about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. He says, not only that, but we also what? We glory, we, we elevate or we celebrate tribulations. Why? Blessings in disguise, friends. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. God uses those trials in beneficial ways in our lives. And then that hope, what's hope? A confident expectation in God fulfilling the promises that he's made to his children. That hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have God's Spirit living inside of us. We have God's love inside of us so we can experience the benefits that come from tribulations, the benefits that come from trials in our lives, the blessings that are those trials in our lives. Now we end by a few things I want us to consider about the benefits of counting your blessings. So we've talked about a lot of blessings, blessings in the natural realm, blessings in the physical realm, blessings in the spiritual realm, ones that were obvious, ones here that we've just talked about trials and tribulations that are a little bit less obvious, and you could probably come up with more. But what are the benefits of counting those blessings? And I've touched on them a little bit. But as you think about counting, counting involves intentional consideration of each blessing individually and then a recognition of the large quantity of blessings that are present in your life. So what is the value of counting? To count, I have to consider each one individually. If I'm counting my blessings, then I'm going to see that I can't count that high and I'm going to recognize the large quantity of blessings that are in my life. So there's the value of counting as we're looking at just that idea of the word counting. Counting. 
But a few other obvious benefits. What does it do when you're, sh- when you're counting your blessings? If I'm counting my blessings, or you're counting your blessings, it shifts the focus to where it ought to be. I'm now focused on the blessings and the goodness. Hopefully I'm focusing on the source of those blessings, which is God himself, instead of what? Instead of myself, others, my circumstances, my trials. It reminds the believers of some things too. It reminds the believers as I'm counting my blessings, it reminds me of God's complete care for me. It reminds me of God's infinite love for me because I'm counting one, two, three, up to infinity. I'm counting an infinite number of blessings. And so as I consider those blessings, then I consider God, I consider how much He cares for me and how much He loves me. Also, another obvious benefit of counting your blessings is it changes your perspective from one that's negative to one that's positive. Changes your perspective from negative to positive because you're focused on what? The goodness of God. You're not focused on the things that aren't going right in your life. The last one is that it produces, as a byproduct or as a result, what your soul desperately craves. By counting my blessings, it actually, I benefit from that in a way where I get the things that I'm actually desperately searching for anyway. And what are those things? Peace. As I count my blessings, I have peace because I see that God's provision, I see God's care, I see God's love, I see God's goodness. I see God's power, and, I, and that gives me then that encouragement that I need to be at peace. It gives me joy as I think about the jubilation that comes from counting my blessings. Remember, to feel blessed is to be happy or pleased or fully satisfied. It gives me joy and satisfaction. It gives me what? Purpose. It gives me purpose because I'm counting my blessings and I'm seeing, why am I here? What is this all about? I'm being reminded of that. And the last thing that gives me as we think about the things that my soul desperately craves anyway, it gives me contentment because I see all that God has done in my life. So counting my blessings. Are you counting your blessings? Do you see the value of counting your blessings? Has this been encouraging in that regard? My prayer would be that all of us could have this perspective and this posture where we're regularly counting our blessings. God, I'm still counting my blessings, all that you've done in my life. The more that I look in the details, the more of your goodness I find. Father, on this side of heaven, I know that I'll run out of time, but I will keep counting my, gl- my blessings, knowing I can't count that high. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. Thank you for the many blessings that we could consider, knowing that there's many more we could have touched on. Thank you for providing us with each and everything that you have and all of the things that we need. Pray that we would give you the credit. We'd give you the glory. We'd be encouraged by thinking about these things. Thank you again for each and every person who's here as they're a blessing in my life. Pray that we would just together be strong in our faith and that we would strive together for the furtherance of the gospel, that we would minister to one another in love in a way where we would be a strong family that is joined together tightly, we're knit together tightly in a way that can bring you honor and glory and make you bigger in our community and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll close with this song, number 556. That's in your blue book. Uh, Would you like to stand up, please?
When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. When by the gift of His infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and to look on His face, will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me.